0: Thanks again for being with us today. I hope this service has been a blessing to you, and I hope it continues to be um, as we get into God's Word. I want to start our time together uh, from a place and a point of personal testimony, Uh, and I think that will lead us to a place in uh, in God's Word that will be applicable and appropriate for all of us to benefit from. But um, I want to read from Psalm 16, verse 5 and and Uh, 6. It's two of my favorite verses uh, that I think all of us should commit to memory because they help articulate and help understand help us understand um, how God is sovereign and good over our lives and and, and how what we benefit from, what we enjoy, is really a gift from God always. Uh, David writes, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So that phrase, chosen portion, or that phrase, my lot, that speaks to all that we enjoy in this life, all that we've been given in this life, that it's from God to us, and that if we could have our choice of anything in this world, uh, if we could have uh, our beginning to end, uh, choose everything we would ever have and the people in our lives and the things that we enjoy, if we could pick it all out ourselves, we would never pick that which God has picked for us. We would never enjoy um, as much uh, compared to what God has given us, that God's choice for us is um, the best and that God's best interest for us is what we desire the most. Uh, You know, David also alludes to the fact that there are things that we want that God may not give us, and there are things that we don't want that God may allow us to experience. He, he, he speaks of the lines uh, that have fallen. That, that refers to the boundaries, or that refers to the limitations. That refers to um, that God has drawn around our lives, and God knows what will come in and what can't come in. And there some things that we wish wouldn't come in that do. And there's some things that we wish would come in that won't. Uh, God has designed those boundaries. God in his sovereignty has set those limitations or set those restrictions. Yet David says that God's will for us is pleasant and God's inheritance for us is beautiful. Even if it includes some not beautiful things in our minds, it's beautiful because God has designed it and God has declared it and God has designated it and He has given it to us. And truly, we can trust that he uh, knows best and he gives from his best, You know, as most of you know, um, last Sunday morning, um, our plans shifted a little as uh, Lindsay began to experience labor pains, and we headed to the hospital a few days after our due date, but a little earlier than the induction time they had set for Lindsay. Uh, 36 hours after arriving, Lindsay finally gave birth to our uh, baby girl, Andrea, and in the last few days, I can't really begin to explain how awesome and life-changing they've been. Uh, and with the forecast of snow today, I thought it would be a great time to tell this story. Uh, and, and I think it would be a great supplement for our actual gathering today. And, and I do think it'll lead to, a, to a, uh, a very general and very broad conversation in just a little bit. But if, if I told you every way that this week has been a testament and a dose of God's redeeming power, we'd be here all day. And I know that you don't have anywhere to go today, but you don't want to listen all day, and I understand that. Um, There are so many angles and parts of the story of mine and Lindsay's life before we met and in our journey together, how this has been touched by God's redeeming grace through Andrea's birth. Um, Rather than delving into all of that, I would like to reflect specifically on what the last few years have been like. Lindsay has told this story before, and it's very much her story in most ways. But yet, through my own eyes, I've seen the grace of God in ways that perhaps will never be overshadowed. And I've learned um, all the more the blessing of being held in his hands and given strength uh, to not lose heart. some of the toughest times. Um, For years Lindsay saw doctors to help resolve our issue of fertility and for the most part um, I felt helpless along the way. All I could do was pray for God to give me understanding and an empathetic heart to the struggle that both of us were going through but was Particularly, you know, concerning her health, but through the continual uh, heartbreak that we shared, uh, the pain Lindsay faced was deeply personal in a way that, you know, I, I'll, I'll never know. Um, you know, this is a pain that all of us, in our weakness, in our sin, were prone to. We naturally condemn ourselves and question if there is any redemption available for our stories. Can God work this out for His good? Can God bring something from this? for his glory. Uh, We always feel like we're the exception, we're the outlier, we're the failure. And and test after test, I could see the devastation way harder on harder on Lindsay. And and not that I wasn't disappointed too, but for me, I was so focused on lifting her up uh, and dedicating uh, myself to prayer for her that I kind of buried and suppressed the what ifs that crossed my mind every time. The reality is that sometimes this is where our requests live and where they remain. Sometimes we don't get the outcome that we want or that we desire, but God is still good in the nos and God is still good in the losses and God is still good in the heartbreaks and the pain. You know, in my life, whether it was losing grandparents early on, struggling with ongoing injuries, not able to walk for many years, facing ministry challenges and criticism, you know, longing for the right person to love and, and to, to to follow the Lord with. The personal and relational hardships along the way, um, in every delayed response from God, and every denied response from God, he has proven good and better than the answer I was looking for. You know, in times where he answered, uh, where he has answered, it's always been in ways that still has driven me closer to him and shown me that he was still greater than the thing that he gave me, uh, and, and in ways that made him perfectly and powerfully known in the provision he allowed to come my way, and in ways that brought glory to him, not just good to me. You know, I know that there are some that hear this, and you're still waiting on your answer. You're still waiting on God to respond to you in the way that you feel like he should, in the way that you think is just and fair for you. You've been praying for something for a long time, and you think it's time that you get the answer you long for. I promise you, while you wait, God is still good in spite of of the way God is still good in spite of the no, in spite of the loss, in spite of the heartbreak. And when you do get the answer, and I pray that you do. When you do get the answer, and the same principle is as important to remember, God is good over and above the good that he gives. God is good over and above the good that he gives us. The good he gives us is only as good as he is in it and through it. And that which we do with it. Nonetheless, Andrea, our daughter, is a gift from God. She is an answered prayer. She is a picture of God's grace and faithfulness. And for that, I'm eternally thankful for her and to God. The, the love that Lindsay and I have been blessed to have and feel for her is an overflow of God's love in us and for us. And being allowed to share in that is really too good for sinners like me to enjoy. But alas, he gives more grace than we could ever deserve. What I've learned through all the hardships and all the frustrations as well as in all the elation is that every moment is full of God's grace. The worst loss of our life is not absent of grace, but rather it's an invitation to trust in the Lord and find what this world couldn't give us and cannot give us. The greatest victories of our life are not full of grace on the merit of the material gain, but rather a unique way that they fill us with joy and wonder. In both loss and gain, it's God's grace that is the true gift, which is what makes the gains and the gifts all the more precious. Because in them, God has allowed us to experience a little heaven on earth. And we have the chance to wrap our arms around that which this world and our flesh truly cannot comprehend and definitely cannot sustain. But in those moments, we're reminded that if not for God's intervening and resurrecting our lives, if not for God redeeming our stories, where would our hope be? So it's true, as Paul says in Romans 8, the sufferings that we face in this present time are not in vain, but they're backdrops for the glory of God, backdrops for the glory that we shall inherit, that we will get a taste one day in full, but we get just a preview of here on earth. You know, such joys in this life are mere hors d'oeuvres compared to the next. But as we've all come to know, sometimes the appetizers are as good as what we uh, wait for in the main course. Sometimes we barely have room for the main course because of how good the appetizers were. Yet, this is an appropriate analogy because the main course is being prepared for us on a table in heaven. So while we wait, God provides plenty that fills our hearts and overflows our souls. You know, being in ministry has been filled with uh, balances of ups and downs. Uh, Marriage has been filled with challenges and comforts. You know, I'm sure that parenting will bring a mix of joy and anxiety. However, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine there is any downside to having a child made in the image of God, in the image of you and your bride, perfectly and wonderfully designed by the creator of the universe, placed in your care and imprinted on your own heart. You know, processing this has been a whole new experience and it's made me think and wonder at the marvel of God's love. And it's allowed me to look back and apply redemption to past experiences that felt as if they didn't make sense at the time, that felt as if they did not have a purpose. I think it's important that we exercise, that we do this. I think it's an act of thanksgiving and worship when we allow God to redeem those parts of our heart that may remain bitter and hurt over something that is behind us, but something that we haven't gotten over. We're waiting for something to make sense of it all, waiting for God to make sense of it for us. Sometimes a gift in the present is meant to serve as a dose of healing for times past. So as we experience more hurt in the future, we can rest assured that there is redemption coming to us. There is redemption for this coming. If God is anything to us, he is our Redeemer. Jesus is our Savior. Think about those two terms, Redeemer and Savior. To redeem means to take something overcome by faults or weakness and restore it to its original intended value. To save means to rescue something as well as to keep it from being wasted. When God redeems us, when Jesus saves us, that means that all of our lives are restored, that nothing is a waste. Nothing will be wasted. Everything matters. You and I, we matter to God. Our past matters to God in that our lives can have a purpose for the glory of God. That's what it means to be saved, that every element of our lives is touched by redemption that even the things in your path the things that you are ashamed of or the things that you don't like to admit are true about you the hurt the pain the bitterness the weaknesses those things have a purpose and that God actually can work his power in those weaknesses in ways you maybe have never given him given thought and never believe that he can, yet in the future, God will give you a redemption. God will give you salvation that goes back in time and redeems those things, makes sense of those things and shows you that they weren't a waste, that he actually meant them for something good, that he actually allowed them to happen to you so that you might be prepared for something that you never even expected or maybe that you've been waiting on for a long time. I'd love for you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 12 uh, as we dig into this topic a little bit more. My hope and my goal is that all of us could begin to see God's work in our lives, God's grace in our lives, especially in those difficult and darkest areas of our hearts where we have been met with hurt and wounds in so many ways. This chapter makes it clear that redemption is available to us all, and it doesn't take a physical miracle. It doesn't take a 180-degree turnaround in our lives for us to experience grace. We can receive that power right now in the middle of whatever we're facing if, if, if we'll follow a very simple prescription that this passage makes clear for us. Now, the context for this passage is the Apostle Paul is facing several challenges in his ministry, The primary one is that he is being ran down and really harassed by a group of ministers who have it out for him, not just him, but against the church and the true gospel. Uh, They were an organized team of guys who were going into the churches that he had planted and were trying to undo all that he established, trying to undermine and discredit all that he had taught. And really the foundational truths of the gospel and the Christian faith were under attack So Paul uh, addresses these people not by flaunting his credentials or bragging about his accomplishments, but he actually begins listing off more things that he could get criticized for. And it's really rather odd. Uh, He begins to say, if you want to, to, to point out my flaws or my faults or my weaknesses, I'll give you more to be aware of. Now, the super saints that were trying to attack him and undermine him and lead the church in a different way, they were projecting this idea that true followers of God had secret knowledge that Paul wasn't privy to and couldn't share with the church, but they could um, if you were as smart as them and as blessed as them. Uh, They also touted that true believers would never face hardships or trials. So Paul with great boldness, actually begins listing off all the hardships and the trials that he had faced in ministry. Things they said were disqualifiers, things they said that would keep you from ever getting close to God. Paul says, well, if you want to know, if you want to talk about hardships, I'm not ashamed of those things. I'll make it very known what I've faced. And he does all this to actually show the trials were not disqualifiers, uh, but were actually instruments used by God to develop Paul's faith and give him more grace. And then in chapter 12, Paul brings all this to an amazing climax. He says, no, by the way, if you want to talk about spirituality and special connection to God, special revelations from God, maybe y'all don't know this, but God has actually given me such revelation. I'm not even able to talk to you all about it because you guys have never seen what I've seen. So you guys are so unable to process it, it would blow your minds if I told you. Paul says, you maybe don't know this, but I actually have been called up to heaven on occasion. And I've seen things that I cannot share because you and mine are so shallow, the details would overwhelm you. As far as special connection to God, nobody was closer to Paul. But Paul actually says the more important thing in his life, more important than his visit to heaven as far as growing him and blessing him was something else. And he pivots from that testimony about going to heaven and seeing things that were unspeakable. He pivots, and he's going to tell us about the one thing in his life that has brought him closest to God. And it's not a sacred, special experience that he had. It's not an awesome, blissful moment of worship. No, Paul claims the game changer in his life, the difference maker in his faith, the the thing that has made the most impact on his life, and the thing that he's the most thankful for. Is not the wonders that he saw in heaven. It's not the miracles that he's been uh, able to you know, experience and, and, and show other people and, and you know, bless other people with. He claims the one thing that he is most thankful for is an ongoing, debilitating, excruciating thorn in his flesh. You heard that right. Paul credits not a spiritual trophy, but a fleshly thorn as the catalyst for his faith growing and his heart being filled with more grace. Of course, in the moment when the thorn first began troubling him, he didn't believe that this was something uh, good and he he didn't want it to be true. He naturally called on God for healing. And check out what came out of that talk with God. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 8. Three times I plead with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So maybe this is where you're at. You're pleading with God for a thorn to be removed, for this trial to end, for a burden to be lifted, for a loved one to change, for your own situation to improve. We could go on and on. Maybe you are pleading for God to change your situation, to better your situation, to give you that healing, to give you that answer, to move in your life. Paul pleaded three times, not just three whispers, but these are three heartfelt in the fire prayers. Not unlike the prayers that Jesus prayed the night before he died in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, he entered into that sacred grove three times that night, all to pray for God to remove him from this hour. But what were his words? He said, "Father." All things are possible for you. So what does that mean? God, you are strong. You are mighty. You can deliver me from this trial. You can end this trial. You can rebuke the enemy. You can destroy the enemy. You can bring me through victoriously. From you are all things. You control everything. God, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And we clap and we shout and we say, of course, remove this cup. God's will is not that we suffer. God's will is not that we drink a cup of suffering. God can remove that cup. Of course he can. Remove this cup from me. Yet, and this is the words of Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. You know what Jesus reveals to us in that moment? That in our flesh, we cannot possibly guarantee that what we want is always best for us. Can you you process that? Does that track with you? In our flesh, we cannot possibly guarantee that what we want is best. You may feel like it's best. You may have no you know possible scenario that you could imagine playing out where it wouldn't be the best you could say well of course this is the best for me why wouldn't it be the best for me i know what's best for me i know me i know what i need jesus says we cannot trust ourselves all the time maybe not most of the time but in our flesh we cannot possibly guarantee that what we want is always best for us because we can't see the multiple threads and layers of life that flows from that potential transaction of getting what we want. Jesus often taught, however, that if you ask anything with faith, believing it shall be given to you. Remember he said that in John 14, he said that in a few other places. And we often hear Jesus say that and we think, well, of course, if if you ask for it, you believe it, God will give it to you. He has to. It's just, if you don't have enough faith, you won't get it. But if you have faith, you'll get it. Just Tap your heels together and ask and it shall be given. Press down, running over, shaking together. We, We quote those verses and we think, well, of course, Jesus said that. And the same Jesus that said that in the most crucial moment of his life doesn't just speak his will into existence. He defers his will to God. You know what that tells me? That when we really begin to understand God's perfect will for us and that God has our best in mind, when we go to God and we begin to ask We won't just go to him with our list of things that we think we need. We'll go to God saying, God, you know all things. I want what you want for me because you know best. You know best. Don't you think the fact that Jesus did this speaks volumes to how we should pray and how we should perceive God's will versus our will? It it most definitely does, and it should alter how we pray and what we pray for and what we're satisfied with as results. Nonetheless, Paul does not pray that. Paul doesn't pray, thy will be done. Paul begs God to remove this thorn, like most of us would, like most of us have, like most of us will next time we face a struggle. Come on, that's what we do, that's normal. But how God responds to Paul would forever change how he prayed, and it should forever change how we pray and what we long for the most. It will also change how we understand our trials and begin to show us the value and purpose of our trials, the valleys themselves, not just the moment we exit them. Listen to God's response to Paul in verse 9. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So God says to Paul, after he prayed three times for this thorn to be removed, God says, no, Paul. That rather, I'm leaving you in the trial, I'm leaving the thorn in you, because my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect and made its strongest in this weakness. If I take the weakness away, I take my strength away. If I take the thorn away, I take my power away from you. I'm not going to remove it, Paul, because to remove the weakness from you is to remove the power from you. And you need my power. You want my power, don't you? You need this thorn to get the most that I want to give you. Isn't that incredible? Doesn't that change the way we understand our trials and our thorns and our struggles? God says, Paul, that it's best that you keep the thorn because it was a catalyst. It's a catalyst for the power of God to be made known and manifested to you. So this is why we pray, not mine, but thy will be done. Because we'd never arrive at that on our own, would we? We take the thorn out and move on with life and assume that we're going to get the best we could get without it. God tells Paul that the thorn is going to be the entry point for his grace, that it's through that thorn that he's going to enter into his life. It's through that full thorn that he's going to pour out grace upon grace. The thorn would be the designated stage for God to display his grace and make his grace felt the most. It's in our weaknesses that God has made the strongest. Against the backdrop of our shortcomings, God's overcoming power is made known and most felt. Don't ever forget that. Listen to how Paul responds. This is so big. Verse nine and ten. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul says, "If that's the case, and I begin to process this and think about this, realize this, and if that's the case, thorn is the entry point of God into my life. Then I'm going to be thankful for the thorn. I'm going to glory in the thorn. I'm going to rejoice around the thorn, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm going to be bold about my weaknesses. I'm going to quit hiding them and I'm going to admit them and confess them because I know it's in my weaknesses that God is made the strongest. And it's when I open my heart up, the wounds and the pain and the bitterness, it's when I bring those to God that he begins to pour grace into those areas and he begins to redeem them for his glory and for my good. And he shows me these things are not waste. These things have a purpose. He says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong, but only then. Do you hear that? When I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, if that's the case, let me go ahead and be honest and open about all my weaknesses because now I know they don't disqualify me. They rather position me to be a recipient of more grace. So suddenly, Paul was not bemoaning his weaknesses, but rather he owns them and rejoices in them, bringing them to God openly and honestly, relying on him all the more. He says, because of Jesus, I am content with my weaknesses. Think about that word contentment. I'm okay with them. I'm happy with them. I'm not trying to get rid of them. I'm not mad about them or bitter or angry about them. I'm content because in my weakness, I am made strong. I would not experience the strength of God if I did not have this weakness in my flesh. I wouldn't even know I needed strength. I would think I had enough on my own. If not for our weaknesses, we may never know the power of God. Do you understand that? If not for the valleys, we may never see the mountain on the horizon and feel the power of God flowing toward us. This is why Paul wrote so defiantly in response to his critics, because they did not know God's grace like he knew it. The proof of it was how graceless they were behaving in the first place. You know, grace blessed people are more gracious as people and towards people. People that are not gracious and don't give grace, they never experience grace. You can measure someone against that and it will always be proven true. People that do not give grace and are not gracious, they do not know the grace of God. God's grace in his, is his power that brings redemption and salvation to our hearts and souls that shows us that there is a path forward, but bids us to depend on him. The challenges in our trials isn't how we escape them, but how we might endure them so that we might come to the place of God's grace in them. Because the promise of this text is that in them and in all of them there is grace to be found from him. So we have hope, don't we? We have tremendous hope, knowing that our hurts and our pains and our wounds, they are not in vain. They aren't wasted time and memories in our lives, but they are touch points for heaven to invade earth. God wants to enter your story through your pain and hurt. Don't close it off from him. Don't become bitter about it, but rather he wants to redeem your story. For His glory, He wants to give you more than temporary gain. He wants to give you eternal peace and an eternal testimony of what His grace feels like and can do in our hearts and can do with your stories. Some of us, we have tried to conceal our pains and our weaknesses, haven't we? Because we're afraid that if we admit them, that we're somehow less qualified or less credentialed. Paul throws that mentality out the window in this passage. Sometimes the thing that keeps us from experiencing God's grace is our own pride our own inability to admit that we need something, that we can't meet the need ourselves, that we can't fix it with our own means. Paul learned to not discount his trials or disqualify himself because of his struggles, but seek God in them and find God in them. More of God than he would find anywhere else. If your struggle is a sin, then God's grace says the temptation may not go away, but my grace is always going to give you the pathway to overcome and choose life over death. If your struggle is a disability, God's grace says the inability may not go away, but by grace is always going to enable you to serve me and see me in spite of it. If your struggle is an absence or an area of need, God's grace says more important than the thing that you need or the thing that you want is the grace that you need to be able to serve God with or without the thing. And if he chooses to give it to you, You'll be able to handle it responsibly in a way that glorifies God that does not lead you astray. The key is accepting our weaknesses, confronting them, confessing them, and embracing them. Pride tries to hide weakness. Humility embraces it so that we may be embraced by God. And the Bible tells us that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. He puts his hand in front of the proud until they realize they're not going to make any progress like that. If we want more grace, we have to come to him humbly and seek his face more than we seek anyone or anything else. And I promise you, and I speak from experience, the grace of God satisfies us in ways that people never will. Things never will. People cannot save you. God's grace can and does. People cannot redeem you. God's grace can and does. Don't put that kind of weight on something or someone that you think you need in your life. They can't handle that kind of weight. They can't handle that kind of pressure. They can't provide you salvation. They can't provide you redemption. They can't provide you what you long for. And if you put that weight on them, they will crush and you will fall as well. The Apostle Paul knew that and taught that very well. And that's why he says, I will boast in my weaknesses because in my weaknesses, I find the strength of God. I find the grace of God. Don't be afraid to go to the place of weakness because that's the portal that heaven and earth connect. Let me remind you of one more example before we leave. King David mishandled his family and his kingdom, lost everything to his own son, who took advantage of his damaged reputation and stole the hearts of the people and led a coup against his dad. David embraced the exile, surprisingly. He didn't declare war, he didn't fight, he didn't deny reality, he refused to try to manipulate God by turning the priesthood against his son or the royal household against his son. He walked away empty-handed. Scripture says that he came to a place called the Kidron Valley, the Valley of Death, where a river had dried up long ago. He crossed the valley, he ascended the Mount of Olives and came to a vineyard, he came to a garden, where he fell on his face and prayed. Maybe you've heard that story before because Jesus took that same path and prayed there years later. But this was David's prayer. 2 Samuel 15, verse 25. The king says, if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good him david says i am spending my life into the hands of a god who has my best in mind i'm not going to manipulate i'm not going to strong arm i'm not going to fight i surrender and let him do to me what seems good let him make his grace known to me through this weakness Over my life, I've learned to pray this same prayer because God's will and God's grace are where I want to be and what I need the most. In the joys of celebrating my daughter's birth, I've seen God's redemption go back through time and show me that every weakness and trial had a purpose. I felt the grace of God restore and heal my heart. Going forward, I'm more confident than ever that no matter what valley I may enter, there is a reservoir of God's grace along the way that cannot be found anywhere else. I hope that you'll join me in rejoicing in weakness, struggles, hardships, and troubles, knowing that in them we encounter God in a special way. We encounter a God who redeems, a God who saves, a God who does not waste anything, but works all things together for his good and for his glory, for our good. God's grace is sufficient. Unlike anything or anyone else, Jesus alone satisfies our hearts' cry. For answers. He pours into our losses blessings of grace. He turns our victories into opportunities to exalt the Lord. He dries our tears and gives us treasures that are not of this world. God's grace in our hearts. In our flesh we may remain weak, but in our souls and by His Spirit we can be made strong. So bring those weaknesses to God. He may remove them, but until He does pray that He uses them. Pray that he uses that point in your life, that place in your life, as an entry point of his grace. Where you're weak, you will experience the power of God. Would you join me in praying, not mine, but thine be done? Would you join me in saying, as Paul says, for the sake of Christ, I rejoice in my weaknesses. I embrace these weaknesses for the glory of God. Would you join me as we pray like David prayed, let him seem Let him do to me what seems good to him. Remember, God has our inheritance. God has drawn the lines. God has our best in mind. He is good. His mercy endures forever. We are in his hands. We're right where we need to be. We wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you that your grace is greater. In anything of this world, that it brings us understanding it brings us perspective and it brings us power. The world offers us all sorts of comforts and all sorts of solutions, but only Jesus can redeem and save our lives and bring purpose to our stories and bring power to our pain. God, thank you for showing us today that no matter what we go through, there is a redemption arc. There is a salvation story that's playing out. You're inviting us into The kingdom of heaven to experience what your will is for our lives. Yes, it may involve things that we did not anticipate, but it will include power and glory and bliss that we could have never imagined and would have never asked for had we settled for less. Father, thank you for this opportunity to worship you this morning Uh, amidst the cold and wintry weather. May we find our warmth and our hope in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.